and welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Dylan. And this week we're talking about season one, episode seven, Angel. And hey, Dylan's back. I am a figment of all of y'all's imagination. Surprise. (gasps) What? So you're not really here? No, you're just talking to yourself and everyone is sharing a a shared hallucination of my voice. My dulcet tones. Is that how you say that? Dulcet? Dulcet? Dolce and Gabbana? I don't know. As long as this shared hallucination we're engaging in is entertaining, I guess it's okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's how it goes with any shared hallucination, right? Yeah, as long as it's not mass hysteria that leads to people being crushed to death by rocks, I think you're okay. I promise I didn't poison anyone's wheat so they won't think everyone's a witch. Oh, good. I don't think I have any announcements or corrections or anything, so I think we can go right into the episode. (sighs) La gasp. Okay, Angel. It aired April 14th, 1997, which was actually Sarah Michelle Gellar's 20th birthday. Aww. So our synopsis of this episode is, The Master sends in three warrior vampires to crush Buffy, unaware that a former minion has a different kind of crush on her. (laughs) Straight up, I want to talk about this synopsis. Because yes, Angel is a member of the Order by Blood, because Darla is his sire and the Master is Darla's sire. Mm Mm-hmm. But now I have to wonder if the backstory for Angel changed slightly, because as we've seen, even in flashbacks, Angelus was never doing the master's dirty work. Hmm. Like he, he was always over here doing his thing. And Darla would go between him and later Spike and Drew and the master. And I remember there even being like one or two times. I think it's not till you get the flashbacks on Angel that Angelus was kind of like annoyed. Darla ran back off to the master. Hmm. So I'm not I'm not really sure about this description. I mean, it's entertaining, but I. Mm, Well, I wonder if this description is more of like, he's a quote unquote minion because he's not a master and or king vampire kind of deal. Okay. So it's just his level of vampire. Yeah. He hasn't gotten that vampire promotion yet. No, no, he is not. Even though I'm pretty sure. Wait, has, did Angelus ever kill any Slayers? No. Oh, never mind then. Yeah. Spike killed two, but Angelus has never killed one. Hmm. Okay. Carry on. This is why he didn't get the promotion. Exactly. This episode also gives us our first previously on, dealing mostly with Angel, but also a little bit with the annoying one. (laughs) But we don't lose our Slayer spiel. Oh no, that's still there. That's still going strong. And as I learned when I looked at the script, previously Mm. ons are actually noted in the script. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it had a little note at the top that's like the previously on segment should contain clips of. And so I did not realize. I always thought that was like a network decision. I didn't know that was actually something you wrote into a script. Well, and like, I don't, it doesn't really make sense that it's in the script because no one who's really reading the script are going to be the ones who are like, ah, yes, let me grab this scene, this scene, and this scene, edit together previously on and throw it together at the beginning of the episode. Unless, I mean, I'm not an editor i don't i know fuck all about what they actually do on a professional level so maybe editors do read the script i i I don't know i would assume editors would be given a copy of the script 
Well, yeah, of course, given a copy, but I don't, I, I just never thought necessarily that they're going to be going through reading the whole thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's the first line of the script, so I, yeah, this is where I'm going to wait for Jackie to text me when she listens to this and tell me how this works. <laughs> so I might have an addition or a correction to this two or three episodes from now. Yes, Jackie, give us a correction, please. So we begin the episode proper in the layer of the master where the annoying one is tossing rocks into this pool of it's red paint. I know it's supposed to be blood, but it's red paint. It's too (laughs) thick and too solid. Like it's not transparent enough to be blood, even fake blood. So it's definitely (laughs) red paint. Look, blood in the 90s looked different than it does today. All right. No, 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 no. Because Scream was in the 90s and Billy Loomis told us about the corn syrup and the red food. No, 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 no. If Billy Loomis could make real looking fake blood, the technical people on Buffy should have been able to. So that is fucking red paint. Billy Loomis had more of a budget than the entirety (laughs) of Buffy did in season one. Okay. Like the character of Billy Lewis, like he and Stu with the money in their pockets. Yes. <laughs> I'd believe it. I'd, I'd actually believe it. They didn't have to turn their parking lots into graveyards. This is true. Darla, my evil, evil sunshine comes down the stairs and the master informs her that Zachary never returned from his hunt last night. Well, duh, the Slayer got him. Sucks to suck. Which is what Darla tells him only without the duh. (laughs) He says that Zachary was strong, but still the Slayer killed him as she's killed so many of his family. He doesn't like it. And he asks the annoying one what he should do. Simple. Annihilate her. So... I, for whatever reason, keep mixing up Darla and Drusilla and confusing the fuck out of myself. So as you're sitting here talking to me about Darla and the whole time, just a minute ago, when we were talking about how Darla is Angel's sire, I was picturing Drusilla and was confused because I was like, wait, I didn't think Drusilla sired anyone. What is happening and i just wanted the world to know that my brain is not functioning (laughs) out of the mouth of babes darla wants to go she wants to kill the slayer for him but the master tells her no she has a personal interest as she laments she never gets to have any fun the master tells him he will send the three blossom bubble and bubble (laughs) you want to try that again Blossom, Bubbles, and Buttercup. There you go. And now it's going to sound real aggressive for no reason because (laughs) editing. They probably would have been more useful than the three. Yes, yes, they would have. Apparently, the three is a reference to the Gaborum from the Book of Samuel, a.k.a. David's Mighty Warriors. They're Ah. apparently the greatest warriors of their time, and the leader is said to have killed over 800 men in a single encounter. Goals. Fun fact. Xander will repeat the Out of the Mouth of Babes line in season six's Two to Go, referring to Dawn. Both times, the quote is said in relation to murder. As it should be. We love murder. Murder is the best. Every week now, I'm like, I hope the FBI doesn't listen to this podcast. (laughs) For legal reasons, that was a joke. We go to the mean streets of Sunnydale where we meet the three as they roam about all armored up and looking badass. 
And the description of the three as given in the original script is they're vampires dressed alike in a kind of medieval uniform. The gang types are bad asses. These guys are stone killers. And did I mention they're vampires? Did you know that they're vampires? I didn't know that they were vampires. I'm really glad this description is here to tell us this like four times. Exactly. It's just in case you were just confused about who or what they are. They're vampires. Well, now that we've cleared that up. Yep. Before too much can happen with them, other than looking quite intimidating, we go to the bronze. Uh, the small child club. We need to talk about the small child club because it's the fumigation party. Something Willow tells us is an annual tradition where the bronze closes for a few days so it can nuke all the cockroaches. And apparently, as part of this party, if you catch a cockroach, you get a free drink. I don't like that. Okay. So not only is the bronze a weird small child nightclub, it's a weird small child nightclub that clearly has a million and some odd health code violations. What do you expect of a small child nightclub that's probably run by fellow small children? It's by small children for small children of the small children. That does make it sound a little less creepy if like other small children are running it. Yes. Yes, it does. (laughs) Instead of the full on grown ass man that you know runs it and marketed this small child nightclub. Right. Still, though, if I was Buffy, I would think twice about eating the food that was on that table. Or drinking the drinks. I would not be. Just no. And also, when are we, are we catching it before the fumigation or after the fumigation? Or knowing the small child nightclub, is it during the fumigation? So this is before the fumigation. At the end of the episode, we will have the after the fumigation party. I pay a lot of attention to things if y'all have picked up on that. You need to stop giving Hallie shit about not paying attention because you pay about as much attention. Look, it's my job now. It's her job over on Plot What Plot. It's my job over here. (laughs) Okay. As long as you guys are dividing the work evenly. Exactly. Speaking of Buffy, she seems a little not entirely present as she's thinking about things in which things represents the relationship she's not in as she doesn't have a guy. Something she says normally doesn't bother her, but Willow suggests Angel. And while it's clear Buffy is totally down with the idea, she says he would have to be around first, constantly, instead of just popping up whenever she was in danger. She does admit, though, that she likes when Angel is around, that he makes the lights dim everywhere else. Aww. She asks Willow if she knows what that's like, and Willow says she does as she looks to Xander, who is doing what Xander does best, and dancing adorkably on the dance floor. Poor Willow. Poor Willow indeed, because I think they aired here. Like I said during the episode on the pack, I feel there should have been a bit more consequence to Xander's actions. Yes. (laughs) So I would have switched this episode with the next one, which is I, Robot, You, Jane, and have the whole Moloch thing happen because Willow was engrossing herself in the project and her online chatting because she needed that time away from the group to get over the things Xander said to her. But it's also like, I I can't think of specifics, but I know that there have definitely been times because everyone's a fucking little shithead when they're younger. And I know that like my friends have said God awful things to me in the moment. And I've said God awful things to them. And the next day we're like, okay, whatever. What's an attention span? Love you. Yeah. I mean, you're right. So like, it's not super far out of the realm of possibility, but you are right. I think it would have made more sense for her to, for those, these episodes to have switched. That's my thing on Willow. But 
Anyway, Xander is dancing in or, you know, attempting to dance with one of the girls from school when the glare of her boyfriend <laughs> makes him dance away and right into Cordelia. They banter. She mentions how he was about to get himself crushed. He makes fun of her dress. And then he's back at the table checking in on his vixens who are, <laughs> according to Willow, watching their barren lives pass them by. <laughs> <laughs> Realizing her mood is now infecting the others, Buffy takes off. Little does she know Angel is watching her from the shadows. Well, I mean, are they shadows? I mean, he's pretty well lit, but Buffy doesn't see him, so we'll call them shadows. And either way, he's creeping. It's shadows to them, but to us, the audience, we get the full lit spectacle that is the gorgeousness that is Angel. Oh, okay. Apparently, the duster Angel wears is Hugo Boss, and it's worth over (sighs) $1,000. Why do people spend that much money on one thing? I don't know. And why is that one thing not me? I really don't know. I mean, I think that money should be spent on you. Exactly. Just just throw throw money at me, everyone. Come on. If one if every one of you who listened to this donated a thousand dollars to the Dylan Lincoln is adorable fund, then you'd have a very happy Dylan. What would they get for their donation? <laughs> The satisfaction of knowing that they put a smile on my face. I'm not sure that's going to be the pull you think it is, but I like it. Look, you you just watch. I'm going to be rich after this comes out. Okay. Buffy walks home, getting that nagging feeling one gets when they're certain they're being watched. Telling whoever it is that she's tired and not up to playing games, she demands they show themselves. As they do, one of the three jumps down from wherever he had been hiding and she prepares to fight him right before the other two join in and grab her. She struggles, going to fight all three of them, but they manage to drag her into an alley and get her pushed up against a fence. Rude. With two of the three still holding her, the final one goes in for the kill right as we move to the credits. Nothing to report. Still awesome. This is still on a Monday, yes? This is still on a Monday. Okay, just wanted to check. We come back from the credits to right where we left off. Only Angel arrives to help out, pulling back the one going for Buffy's throat and telling all three of them that good dogs don't bite. I don't know what to do with that analogy because one, it's really, really cheesy. And two, Angel does realize he's calling himself a domesticated puppy, right? (laughs) He's a vampire. They're vampires. He doesn't bite. So. Yes. Yes. (laughs) He's decided that he is going to be a puppy. Okay. As long as Angel knows what he's doing here. (laughs) This gives Buffy a chance to recover and she easily throws the other two off. All four of them fighting now until Angel and Buffy see their chance to escape. They take off running with the three in pursuit. Racing to Buffy's house, the two get inside and slam the door on the three who can't enter anyway because they were not invited. Dun, dun, dun. So I rewound these few seconds like three times because when they first ran into the house, I was like, hold on. Angel wasn't invited either. But as they're running in, it's a little faint. And I don't know if the music is on top of it purposely because they Uh were still they were still trying to hide what Angel was at this point. You do hear her yell like, get in, come on, hurry. Okay, but you would you would remember this better than I would because I I wasn't watching this when it was first coming out. Were people surprised to learn that Angel was a vampire? So this is funny, and I have this in my notes later on when we get to the reveal. I do not remember my reaction to that scene. Oh, well, boo. There are certain scenes I very much remember my reaction to. Yeah. I don't remember my reaction to the scene. So I don't remember. I think we all had our suspicion. Like you knew there was something up with Angel. Yep. So I think we all had our suspicions. 
but I don't remember. And now I'm going to make a note to ask Jackie, like if she was, except she watched the end of the season first. So she Uh, knew Angel was a vampire. So I don't know. Uh, If you're listening, what would, do you guys, anyone out there remember? Was anyone shocked when Angel was a vampire? Did most people assume he was a vampire? What was your reaction to this episode? Tell us. Please do. Because like, it's just, I'm I'm having a hard time with like, okay, am I sitting here seeing how obvious it is that he's a vampire because I am well aware that he's a vampire? Or was it actually that obvious? <laughs> yeah, that's a hard one. Angel reminds Buffy of that fact, the fact that they can't come in. And while she says she's heard it, she's never put it to the test. Noticing Angel's been hurt in the fight, she tells him to take his jacket and shirt off, convenient, while she goes to get some bandages. <laughs> I would ask that too. Look, he's hot. (laughs) He is. And we get this nice gratuitous shot of Angel's back and his tattoo, which the script describes as being a winged lion. (laughs) Buffy begins to patch him up, saying she was lucky he came along before wondering just how he happened to come along. To which he replies he lived nearby and was out for a walk. Yeah, right. No one believes that, Angel. Not even Buffy believes that. Technically, he's not lying. His little, like, hidey hole is nearby. It is. Buffy thought maybe he was following her. When he asks why would he do that, she says, you tell me. She also says that if he is hanging her out, she'd like to know why. And to which he replies, maybe it's because he likes her. However, before she can pursue this too much further, she hears the door. Her mom's home, and so she rushes to let her mom in and make sure there aren't three vampires still hanging around outside. <laughs> With her mom inside safe and sound, she attempts to usher her upstairs before she can see Angel. But see Angel she does, and when Joyce asks what Angel does, Buffy says he's a student, community college student, first year, and that he's helping her with history. All I'm going to say is art thief Joy should know better than to ask people what they do. That's true. She doesn't want people prying into her smuggling business. Exactly. Okay, so Sunnydale now has a community college. It has a full-on UC school and a community college, along Mm -hmm. with the zoo, the airport, the museum, a small child nightclub, the bus depot, and about a million other locations, but it's supposedly a tiny, tiny town. I will say the town right next to my hometown had a community college and it's very it's a very small town but did it have a community college and a full-on university actually yes oh it did Framingham State University in Mass Bay okay so you can be a (laughs) tiny town and have multiple schools yes Joyce says it's a little late for tutoring and that she's going to go to bed Buffy agrees to say goodnight and do the same making as if saying goodbye to Angel Buffy sneaks him up to her room he says he doesn't want to get her in trouble and she says she doesn't want him getting debt which means sleepover I'm into it (laughs) I'm shocked after a bit of awkward conversation about two people one bed Angel says he'll take the floor Buffy has him check out the window and turn around so she can put on her PJs. While she changes, she tells Angel she's the chosen one. That's why she fights. So why does he? Because someone has to. Well, what does his family think of that? They're dead. (laughs) This stuns Buffy and she moves to him asking if it was vampires, to which he replies it was, but that it was a long time ago. She doesn't so much ask as remark that it's a vengeance gig for him and he promptly changes the subject, distracting her by telling her she's pretty even when she goes to bed. Creepy. We're going to talk about this. She promises it's not that way when she wakes up. Okay, so apparently I am not the only one who finds this a little creepy. Yes. They've barely had a full conversation at this point. Look, I joke around and say I'm into it because David Boreanaz is hot, but this is fucking creepy. And now I see where Edward Cullen got it from. (laughs) 
he was modeling himself after Angel. He went to the Angel University of Dramatic Tricks. So I honestly think at times this is why I prefer Spuffy to Bangle. Because yes, I know Spike can be just as creepy as Angel. But the enemies to lovers trope is at least a way more solid foundation than I stalked you and delivered three cryptic <laughs> messages. Let's make out. I mean, look, the gay dating experience is way more aggressive than that. There aren't even three cryptic messages. There's most of the time just a dick pic and someone 80 feet away from you on Grinder. <laughs> So I'm not anyone to judge. (laughs) This is a no judgment zone, even if you're a creepy vampire. But it's fucking creepy. (laughs) It is! And I have to keep reminding myself that she's, what, a sophomore? Yeah, she's a sophomore. And he's like 5,000 years old. He is 240 years old. We will find that out in a couple of scenes. What you said. (laughs) Handing him a pillow, she tells him to sleep tight before getting into bed. When she asks if he snores, he tells her that it's been a long time since anyone's been in a position to tell him and he doesn't know. Next day, Xander cannot believe that Buffy let Angel spend the night in her bed. Well, next to her bed, but still. Willow thinks it's romantic and wants to know if anything happened. No, perfect gentleman. I really appreciate that it is such a universal experience of being a kid and thinking that, like, for the most part, you 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 would be able to get any sort of adult that you found attractive because normally they're going to be a normal human per- person and say no. But like, I just I remember my friends and I going out to restaurants when we were old enough just to like have their parents drop us off and pick us back up and leaving our phone numbers for the waiters as if we were expecting anything to happen. <laughs> we never did that. Look, it happened to Buffy. It's a universal experience. Okay, but Buffy's not out there leaving her phone number for the creepy old man. No, instead she invited him, invited him to sleep in her bedroom. Oh, yes. But but it's creepy. We've already said that. But there are extenuating circumstances here in the whole met him fighting vampire thing. She didn't see him across the small child nightclub and was like, call me sometime. You don't know that my friends and I did not beat these waiters while fighting vampires. You just told me your mom dropped you off at a restaurant. It could have been full of vampires. It could, you're right. It could, it could have been. It could have been. Was it? Yes. I'm just going to let that one go. So many vampires. So little time. Xander says they need to wake up and smell the seduction. That it's the oldest trick in the book and guys will do anything to impress a girl. He should know. He once drank a whole container of Gatorade without once stopping to take a breath. Willow confirms that it was indeed very awesome, but later (laughs) there was an ick factor. While this is all very fascinating, Giles would like to know if they could get to the issue at hand. No, Giles. Poor Giles. I I don't think they often get to the issue at hand. No, they never do. And he should be used to this by now. He shows Buffy a picture in one of his books. And when Buffy agrees that those were the vampires who attacked her, he tells her they are the three warrior vampires. Willow is impressed. How does he know this? And not just this, but everything. How does Giles always know what's going on? She never knows what's going on. Giles points out to her that she doesn't know what's going on because she wasn't there from midnight until 6 a.m. researching. That's fair. No, no, she was not. She was sleeping. As she should be. She is a growing child. 
That's right. Giles says clearly Buffy has upset the master if he's brought out the three and that he will send others. But for now, given their failure, those three will offer their lives in penance. <laughs> Which is exactly the next thing we see. The three in the master's lair, offering the master their lives by handing him a large wooden pole, slender with pointed edges, like a really, it's a spear. I don't know why in my notes I couldn't come up with the word spear. I'm proud of it's you. It's a spear. <laughs> typing this out of like long wooden pointy it's a spear it's a spear they hand the master a spear and he hands it to darla as he turns to the annoying one after all there is much he must learn like how all creatures of the night are bonded and how the taking of a life a vampiric life not a human one because who the fuck cares about humans is a serious matter the annoying one asks if that means the master is going to spare them nah bitch no, not at all. But he says he's old and weary and that their deaths would bring him little joy. Right as Darla plunges the spear into the first of the three. And from her face, it is no little joy she is getting from that. <laughs> the master tells the annoying one that sometimes a little is enough. So in talking to the annoying one in this scene, the master mentions how with great power comes great responsibility. This quote, now extremely well known, is attributed to the Spider-Man origin story in Peter's Uncle Ben. But... The first instance of the phrase in the comics was 1962's Amazing Fantasy, and those lines weren't spoken. They were in the narration. In fact, the lines won't be shown actually being spoken by Uncle Ben until 2002's Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 2, Issue 38. Nerd. Oh, we're just getting started on my nerdiness for this one. Just you wait. Wait till the next scene, actually. (laughs) Giles places a sign outside the library door that says, It's closed for filing as Buffy goes to choose her weapon. Okay, good. It is good to know that Giles does make some effort to keep people out of the library when he and Buffy are training. But also, is there like... (laughs) Is there no administrator in that school that's like, wait a second, how many, what is he filing? Why is he filing four times a week? Hello? And storm in only to get like an axe thrown at their face. Okay, well, the first administrator was Flutie and Flutie was probably like, oh, yes, good filing. Yay. And right now there's apparently a vice principal who's in charge. I didn't even know Sunnydale High had a vice principal. Don't all schools have vice principals? I'm sure it does, but we never see them. We like I, we don't even know their ah. name. And then it'll take two more episodes for Snyder to show up. And then I don't think Snyder cares what goes on as long as nobody talks to Snyder. <laughs> Wait, did your school not have a vice principal since y'all didn't have a lunch? So we had... None one and none two? I went to a private girl's school. We had a headmistress, an academic dean, a dean of students... So like the Dean of Students is basically the vice principal, but we had different names for them. Ah, I'm choosing to believe that your school was led by none one and none two. I mean, you're not far off. (laughs) (sighs) I would go into that, but then we would talk for like three hours about the weirdness that was one of the nuns that was at my school and we will get very off topic. So, but let's just say you're not far off. Okay. Buffy wants to use the crossbow because hello, flying fatality. But Giles says they need to start with the basics. Like the quarterstaff, a weapon which, according to him, takes hours of rigorous training. To this, Buffy responds that she won't be fighting Friar Tuck. You don't know that. Friar Tuck is a character often seen in modern Robin Hood stories and is often depicted as a jovial friar in one of Robin's merry men. Interestingly enough, given Robin's close association with Richard the Lionhearted, a friar among his band would have been impossible, as that time predates friars in England. However, they think the inclusion of Tuck might have come from earlier stories which listed Robin's king as Edward, 
not Richard. Though often used for comic relief in the tales, he is sometimes said to be a skilled swordsman and archer. Swordsman. Sword. Not quarterstaff. Do you know who does fight with a quarterstaff? Little John. Little John. Exactly. Come on, people. I just think of the the scene in Robin Hood Men in Tights where the quarterstaff just gets smaller and smaller and then he boops him on the hand. The one I always think of with Robin Hood Men in Tights, especially with Little John, is the river scene with the, <laughs> it's not, it's not that big. I'm on one side. I'm on the other <laughs> side. I'm on both sides at once. <laughs> I'm going to have to watch that movie tonight now. Giles tells Buffy to put on her pads because giant sticks and she assures him she will not need pads to fight him. He tells her they'll see about that and the two begin to spar, Buffy sweeping Giles' feet out from under him and laying him flat on his back. Okay, fine. They can move on to the crossbow. He he tried. So in the original script, there's a scene that comes between this scene and the next one where Buffy and Joyce are having dinner and Joyce mentions having heard mice upstairs. Also during this conversation, Buffy distracts her mom with talk of the curtains so she can sneak food into a bag for Angel. But what I find really interesting about this scene is that we get a little insight into Joyce. Mm-hmm. as she notices the way Buffy looks at Angel and cautions her to take it slow, which leads us to the following exchange. Buffy. Okay, so slower than you and Dad took it? Rude. Joyce. Touche. Do you want to hear the lecture or do you know it by heart? Buffy. You were young. You were in love. What you weren't was through with college, focused on your career, and no help from the audience, please, in possession of your own identity. This is probably the most background we get on Joyce the entire series. No. Except, you know, for the fact that she had Gidget hair. We don't really find out a lot about Joyce or about like Joyce and Hank's marriage. So I was very intrigued by this scene that does give that tiny insight into the beginning of their relationship. Well, it's because Joyce is an art thief and she can't have no one knowing that. Okay, come on now. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously why the divorce happened. He was slowing her down. Mm-hmm. Buffy comes into her darkened bedroom where Angel is waiting, but it's cool. She was expecting him, obviously. And she even brought him dinner in a Ziploc bag. But still, dinner. She asks what he did all day and he says he read a little and thought a lot. Seeing her diary out in the open, Buffy immediately assumes that he read it. How dare he? A diary is a person's most private thoughts. Also, hunky can mean bad things. And A doesn't even stand for Angel. It stands for Ahmed, a charming foreign exchange student. Obviously, she needed one of those password journals. She did. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. So nobody believes Buffy. (laughs) Angel tells her that her mother moved the diary while cleaning, which he watched from the closet, also creepy, and that he didn't read it. Promise. Which is good, only not, because now Buffy just told him everything that was in her diary. (laughs) Womp womp. Angel says his thinking about stuff led him to the conclusion he can't be around Buffy. Buffy thinks it's because she just dumped a whole lot of embarrassing info on him, but no. It's because when he's around her, all he can think of is kissing her. Okay, creepy! This is creepy. How old was Angel when he died? He was in his 20s. So I'm looking at something from the Buffy boards. Anyway, something that I just realized the other day while watching Buffy is that when Buffy and Angel started going out, she was around 15 years old and Angel was about 200 something. Now say that we judge this off of how old he was before he was a vampire, which would be 26. Yeah, he was born in 1727 and he was sired in 1753. Ew. Yeah. So he is 26, which is... Ew. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree that Angel was 26 
because that seems about right. But apparently when you get to the comics, it says Spike was 27 when he was sired. And I have a really hard time believing Spike was older than Liam was. Why? I mean, I guess it's probably just the way they acted. Like Spike seems very, not like young, young, like not a child, but early 20s in those scenes. He's And it's probably just the naivete of William. Yeah. And the whole like, I'm going to go and write poetry for this girl I like. And then everybody makes fun of him. It makes him seem much more in the like 20 to 24 range than closer to 30. Yeah. Liam was a drunk who like slept with a bunch of tavern wenches. I find it easier to believe he was late 20s. But also this was way back in the day where I feel like that was more of a normal thing to do at a younger age. Yeah. But I still, we just, I I understand that the 90s were a different time, but did no one stop and be like, hey, maybe we shouldn't have, no, this is the fucking show that has a small child nightclub. Of course, no one stopped to think maybe the 15 year old shouldn't be the love interest of a fucking 200 something year old vampire that was in his 20s when he died. (sighs) I hate everything. You find out in Becoming Part 2, he was watching her when she was at Henry. This whole thing is creepers be creeping. I just, they're so, I, I, let's just carry on. So I'm telling you, her and Spike, way healthier relationship. Everything's horrible. Like she was over 20 when she started sleeping with Spike. Everything's horrible. (laughs) He says he's older than her and it could never work that he should go. She asks how much older as she steps closer and he repeats that he should go. Yeah. She knows. Only he doesn't go and there's kissing. No! (laughs) I just need you to pop up during scenes like this and just be like, no! Bad! I'll break out the newspaper. (laughs) Oh my god, please, please hit Angelus with the newspaper. I'm sure that would end well for me. <laughs> Not Angelus. Angelus is delightful. Hit Angel with the newspaper. The music during their little makeout sequence is so fantastically late 80s, early 90s. It's very synth and it just sounds like it belongs in a Lifetime movie. <laughs> anyway, he starts to pull away, acting almost like he's in pain. And she asks what's wrong, only for Angel to turn to her in full vamp face. What? Who could have ever bum, guessed? Bum, bum. So this is what I said. I had this in my notes. Like, I'm trying trying to remember how shocked I was when this episode aired. (laughs) I remember my reaction to him turning into a jealous again. I remember Uh my reaction to Spike standing up out of the wheelchair. And I definitely remember my reaction to Giles returning at the end of season six. I do not remember anything about watching this episode. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we need people to, to write in and tell us what their reactions were. Please and thank you. She screams and he dives out the window, scrambling down the roof. And this is another one of those moments that it just, it looks so ridiculous. <laughs> I was cracking up watching it because David Boreanaz is headfirst scrambling down this roof before diving <laughs> off it. And I just... Oh, it's fantastic. Joyce comes up to check on Buffy, asking what's wrong, and she says nothing. She just thought she saw a shadow. So fun fact, it takes an hour and a half to apply the vampire makeup to David, and his favorite part of playing a vampire is the yellow contacts. We go to Sunnydale High, and why did my notes move? Angel is a vampire. Willow is shocked. 
and Xander is appalled. Buffy asks Giles if a vampire can ever be a good person, and he reminds her that vampires aren't people at all. They wow. may retain some of the memories and personalities, but that a vampire is a demon. Buffy doesn't get it. Then why was Angel good to her? Why did he help her? Was it all a setup by the master? Xander says they need to look at this objectively. Angel's a vampire, and she's a slayer. The answer to what needs to happen next is very clear. And while it's sad she has feelings for him, it's not like she's in love with him. And also, she's a child. And he is fucking ancient. Yes, but she's kind of in love with him. To which Xander asks if she's lost her mind, falling in love with a vampire. No, not a vampire, umpire. He corrects himself as Cordelia rolls up beside the group. How could she love an umpire? Everybody hates them. (laughs) Cordelia, though, wasn't listening to them. She was too busy signaling out a girl with supposedly the same dress as her. Only it can't be the same dress. Hers is a one of a kind, meaning the other girl has a cheap knockoff. And Cordy is not about that. This is what happens when you allow fair trade agreements. I just, I love Cordelia so much. There's another deleted scene that goes here. And this one is between Xander and Willow. Xander laments that even with Angel being a vampire, Buffy still prefers him. He says it's been the same ever since grammar school. You dig someone, they dig someone else. He also says that it's killing him to be this close to Buffy and not have her know how he feels. Something to which, after he leaves, Willow responds, gee, I wonder what that's like. (laughs) Willow. We go to Angel's apartment and Angel comes home, turning on the light and asking who's there, as he knows someone is in the apartment. A friend, answers Darla, as she steps out of the shadows and into the light, telling him that it's been a while, a lifetime or two. He asks what's up with the Catholic school girl routine as the last time he saw her it was kimonos yeah well the last time she saw him it wasn't high school girls thank you darla she asks him if he remembers budapest and the earthquake at the turn of the century telling him that he was such a bad boy back then and that there was nothing quite like a natural disaster to spice up things Okay, two things. One, I couldn't find any record of an earthquake in Hungary around the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. And two, Angel was cursed in 1898, meaning by the turn of the century, he was no longer Angelus. Either we have not nailed down a timeline yet, or we and Darla remember Budapest very differently. (laughs) Look, Darla had a very different Budapest experience than you did, and that's okay. Okay. Darla then moves on to commenting about his apartment, about how he lives above the ground like one of them. Does he, though? Isn't his apartment, like, down under something? He technically lives in a basement. (laughs) Like, that would be useful for a vampire. Just because he doesn't live in a literal hole in the ground. (laughs) doesn't mean he lives above ground uh how he and his new friend hunt their kind like one of them well he's not one of them and she reminds him of that by throwing open the blinds and letting in the sunlight driving him to the other side of the room so maybe he's not but he's not one of them either she knows him knows what he wants what he needs she can feel the rage inside of him stirring he tells her she doesn't want to be around when it bursts but she's not afraid of him his new friend might be though or maybe not as she saunters out God, I love her. She tells Angel to tell her about the curse. Maybe she'll understand. So as this is the first time Angel's curse is mentioned, I was hoping Mm -hmm. to do this like big deep dive into curses and why curses, especially Romani curses, are so prevalent in horror literature and cinema. But I want to make sure I do it right. So I think I'm going to save it till season two when Angelus's curse plays a huge part of the story. Ah, 
That's fair. We go to the library where Giles has abandoned the text and gone to the diaries of the watchers who came before, a.k.a. the watchers diaries. Hey, they did the thing. They did the thing. He says how there are accounts from around 200 years ago of a vampire in Ireland called Angelus, the one with the angelic face. (laughs) The accounts all say Angelus leaves Ireland, causes havoc through Europe, and then about 80 years ago, which would have been almost a good 20 years after his curse, he shuns all other vampires and comes to America, after which there is no record of him feeding. Okay, so maybe he is good then. Or maybe there's just no record of it. After all, feeding is what vampires do. And as Xander says, fish gotta swim birds gotta fly do they xander do they well apparently they do because that phrase is a line from can't help loving that man a song from the 1929 musical showboat huh interesting that just makes me happy that like xander knows a random 1929 musical xander i think is secretly a hollywood or uh, not hollywood a broadway aficionado yeah it's his hidden passion i i appreciate that at 240 buffy realizes angel really wasn't kidding when he said he was older. Xander asks what Angel was like before he left Europe, and Giles says he was like all the others, a violent, vicious animal. In the Master's Lair, Darla is grateful the Master let her kill the three, but she wants to kill the Slayer. He has to let her kill the Slayer before the Slayer takes out the rest of them. He's not terribly keen on the idea of Darla giving him orders, but he can sense she has a plan. And she does! A good one. She gets Angel to kill the Slayer and come back to the fold. Angel, the master says he was the most vicious vampire he ever met. He misses him. Again, Angel never worked for the master. Well, he wasn't saying that Angel worked for him, just that he was vicious. Okay. Because the one time, the one time we know of that Darla introduced him to the master, he kind of mocked the master. So, Angelus wasn't really a fan. But maybe that's why the, the master misses him. Because he has all of these people around him that just does everything without saying a peep. And then here's this one person that's killing everyone inside and giving him lip. So he's like, oh, I hate it, but I like it. Okay. Okay, I can go with that. The master asks why Angel would kill the Slayer. Simple, to keep her from killing him. At Sunnydale High, Buffy and Willow are studying and talking about boys as Darla listens from the stacks. Willow says she sometimes has a fantasy where Xander grabs her and kisses her right on the lips. (laughs) See, that is an appropriate crush. Age appropriate. It is. It's a very age appropriate crush. Willow gets a gold star. Buffy, not so much. Nope. Buffy says if she wants Xander, she needs to speak up. But no, no, she can't. That way leads to madness and sweaty palms. <laughs> but she wants to know about Buffy. What was it like when they kissed her and Angel? Was it unbelievable? Inappropriate. That's what it was like. <laughs> I mean, not wrong. Willow brings up the fact Angel won't age while Buffy will and immediately apologizes, but Buffy says it's fine. She needs to hear this, needs to fortify herself for what she has to do. Only she can't. It's Angel and he's always been so good to her. For now, she needs to stop thinking about it, instead concentrating on history, at least for the next half hour, and then she's going home to mope. Oh, yeah, you mope over that older man. At the summer's home, Joyce is home alone, drinking coffee and looking over something when she hears a noise. Getting up, she looks around, even checking the back door, but finds nothing. We, however, as the audience, see Darla's vampiric face in the window. And as much as I love Darla, the creep factor on this scene is pretty high with the horror movie music and all. Yes. A knock on the front door comes and Joyce goes to answer 
It's Darla, who introduces herself as a friend of Buffy's. The two of them were supposed to have a study date. Joyce says she thought Buffy was studying with Willow at the library, and Darla says she is. Willow's the Civil War expert, but she's the War of Independence, as her family dates back to that. Joyce tells Darla Buffy will be home soon, and does she want to come in and wait? Oh, Joyce. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Stepping inside, Darla remarks how nice it was of Joyce to let her in. Joyce says she's been struggling with the IRS all night. Oh, so I guess what she was looking at was her taxes. Art thief. I was going to say, probably trying to figure out how to hide all the money she's made smuggling art. <laughs> and would Darla like something to eat? Why, yes. Yes, she would. Angel arrives and walks to the door, about to knock when he decides against it. He can't be there. Can't be around Buffy. He goes to leave, but hears a scream from the kitchen. Running in that direction, he bursts down the door to find Darla with Joyce. Angel tells her to let Joyce be, and she says she's only had a little and that there's plenty left for him. That he should indulge, have something warm after all this time. Tossing Joyce to him, Darla watches as Angel struggles before finally vamping out. Feeling her work there is done, she heads out telling Angel, welcome home. Rude. Not rude, fantastic. Rude. Of course, as soon as she leaves, Buffy walks in, catching Angel in the kitchen, holding her unconscious mother who is bleeding from two puncture wounds in the neck. We don't see if much of what happens then, but Angel... Angel goes flying through a window before <laughs> Buffy appears at it, telling him he's not welcome there. And if he comes near them, she'll kill him. Then she's off to call 911. And this is where we learn Buffy's address. 1630 Ravello Drive. Xander and Willow also arrive then, and when Willow asks what happened, Buffy replies, Angel. So dramatic. Why were Xander and Willow at Buffy's house? Like, Buffy just left Willow at the library. Xander wasn't at the library. Buffy said that after their half hour of studying, she was going home to mope. So how did Xander and Willow just happen to be there? Look, they were trying to be good friends. They had some ice cream and some snackums to cheer up Buffster, and then every Everything went to hell because her inappropriate man crush decided to take a nibble upon her mother as far as she knows. And so that's why they're there. That's actually a very plausible explanation. Exactly. I'm good at these things. Hire me, people, you to are. give you plausible explanations. That should just be a job assignment. Yes. <laughs> like, plausible explanation. Do you need a plausible explanation? An alibi? I am here for you. I feel like that is a job for the mob. The mob probably pays well. And I don't work for the mob. Well, you probably should look into that. I mean, my family is from Sicily. They're, the likelihood of there not being some sort of mob connection somewhere is slim to none. Yeah, yeah. We go to the hospital and there's Giles running down the hall looking painfully British in his tweed and (laughs) scarf. In Joyce's room, Buffy is asking her mom if she remembers anything. Not really. She remembers Buffy's friend coming over, going to make a snack, and then she tripped and fell? The doctor said it looked like she stabbed herself with a barbecue fork. Joyce didn't think they even owned one of those. (laughs) Look, barbecue forks are dangerous. Just the image that I have in my mind right now is so silly. It's silly because it's Joyce's neck. (laughs) If you want a truly gruesome example... Uh, watch no. Sons of Anarchy? No, I'd rather just go back and listen to the plot what plot episode that has Sons of Anarchy. <sighs> Seeing Giles, she asks if he's a doctor, and Buffy tells her no, that he's Giles. 
oh, the librarian, what's he doing there? He says he came to pay his respects, wish her a speedy recovery. Joyce comments that the teachers in that town really do care. That's because she hasn't met Snyder yet. (laughs) Buffy tells her mom to get some rest as they step out into the hall. Buffy assures the others that her mom will be fine, and Giles says she was lucky to have gotten home when she did. No, Buffy doesn't think she was lucky. Buffy thinks she was stupid, letting Angel in like that, inviting him into her home even after she knew. Yes, she was, but not because he's a vampire. Because he's a 26-year-old man? Yes! gross. Willow reminds her that she can't control her feelings and killing him won't stop them. Maybe not, but it's a start. She tells Willow and Xander to look after her mom and heads down the hall, Giles following. She needs to be careful. From all they've seen, Angel is no ordinary vampire and she's going to need more than a simple state. Which is why she's grabbing the crossbow. Uh, Can we talk about the fact, though, that she apparently went home and grabbed a purple sparkly coat on the way to get said crossbow? Like, I don't know. What she was wearing was not proper hunting attire. No, it wasn't. And for all we know, her house could have been on the way to the school from the hospital. You don't have a map of Sunnydale, ma'am. Darla tells Angel that Buffy is hunting him, that she wants to kill him. But Angel just wants to be left alone. Darla continues though asking him what he expected did he really think she'd understand that she'd see his true face and accept him love him give him a kiss she urges angel to do what it is vampires do feed kill and he gets up throwing her into a wall all right fine darla asks him what he wants and he says for it to be over which is good also good is the fact he's hurting her seems darla likes it rough i love that line she is a child darla no, Buffy. No, but we're talking about Darla. Darla, he oh. Darla is the one he throws into the wall. Oh, okay. Never mind. Pay no attention to the Dylan and then behind Darla the curtain. Does the like? What do you want? I want it to be over. That's good. You're hurting me. That's good too. Ah, okay. Jk. Carry on. That line is right up there with the like. Where's Angel? Off flogging himself in a church somewhere. Ooh, flogging. <laughs> it is. <laughs> anyway. Uh, originally we got another tiny bit at the hospital here where mm-hmm. Xander and Giles are standing in the hall. Xander is staring at Giles's coat. And when Giles asks him what Xander replies with, why do they call it tweed? <clears throat> Before Giles can answer, Willow emerges and says, Joyce is asking for Giles. Okay. So why is tweed called tweed? Well, originally tweed was called tweel, which is the Scots word for twill, the most popular weaving method for making tweed. The ah. name, according to lore, came about when a London merchant misinterpreted the name tweel for tweed, thinking the fabric was named for the river tweed in Scotland. Insert little, the more you know, rainbow there. Bum, 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 bum. Exactly. Outside the bronze, Buffy, crossbow in hand, goes looking for Angel, knowing he lives somewhere around there. She sees a shadow and heads in that direction only to be distracted by the sound of breaking glass. Seeing a utility ladder, she decides to climb up to the roof and get a better look. Joyce tells Giles that Buffy talks about him all the time and that it's important to have teachers who make an impression. Giles tells Joyce that Buffy makes quite the impression herself. Joyce then begins to worry about Buffy's struggle with history. Is it too hard? Is she not applying herself? Buffy, Giles says, is a girl who lives very much in the now, while history is very much about the then. Joyce still doesn't get it. She's studying with Willow, She's studying with Darla. Huh? Giles doesn't know a Darla. 
Joyce tells him she's the friend who came to the house and that she probably frightened her half to death and that maybe someone should look in on her. Yes, yes, they should. And they will. Giles will right away. He leaves as Joyce remarks how amazing that school is. (laughs) Poor Joyce. Out in the hall, Giles tells Xander and Willow they have a problem. Dun, dun, dun. At the bronze, Buffy comes down the steps, crossbow at the ready. She knows Angel's there and she knows what he is. Does she? He answers from the shadows, reminding her that he's just an animal. No, he's not an animal. Animal she likes. Game face on, he tells Buffy that they should just get it done, the two beginning to fight. On the ground, crossbow aimed at his chest, Buffy asks why. Why not just attack her straight away? Was he toying with her? Was it all a game? Funny, because she inadvertently guesses Angelus's playbook. As Angelus would have absolutely toyed with her like that, and will toy with her like that, come season two. Buffy says she invited him in and he attacked her family. Why not? He replies. He killed his and their friends, their friends' children. For a hundred years, he offered a horrible death to everyone he met and he did it with a song in his heart. And this is why we love Angelus. Buffy asks him what changed and he tells her about the curse, how he fed on a Romany girl and how the elders of her village cursed him by returning his soul. Buffy doesn't get it at first. Were they all out of boils? But Angel explains how the demon that inhabits you once you're a vampire doesn't get your soul, that you have no conscience. So to have done the things he did and now care, it's torment. He hasn't fed on a living human in almost a century and he doesn't feed on her mom. Okay, so like we get confirmation here that the Budapest thing at the turn of the century does not make sense because when Angel is telling her this, at least in the original script, he says the curse was put upon him a little before the turn of the century. Hmm. Yeah. Buffy lays down the crossbow and approaches. She offers him her neck, but he doesn't take it, which is when Darla shows up. Fun fact, this is the scene that sold Marty Noxon. Up until this moment, she thought this was going to be a failed show based on a failed movie. But this, the whole Buffy offering Angel her neck and him refusing to take it, this is the scene that won her over. Interesting. I can fully see why this would be the scene that would sell someone. Yeah. Like, I'm hoping it's like the whole scene with him explaining the curse and everything and not just the part with the neck, because I don't think that part is that impressive. But as long as it sold Marty because she's fantastic and she will bring us many good things throughout the run of the show. So whatever it took to get her on board. Yep. (laughs) Meanwhile, Giles, Xander and Willow are on their way. Giles telling them to keep a lookout. Darla asks Buffy if she knows what the saddest thing is. And Buffy responds, bad hair on top of that outfit. All right, listen, (laughs) Miss Glittery Coat. You leave my Darla alone. Nope. And no, it's not that. It's to love someone who once loved you. Oh, yes. Darla is letting slip that she and Angel once had a thing for several generations. Can vampires love? So, yes. I mean, okay, let's go on a a relevant tangent here. So this is the thing with about Spike. Because Mm -hmm. Spike has loved Drusilla since the moment he saw her. He was completely devoted to her. As a vampire, the first thing Spike wanted to do was turn his mother into a vampire so she wouldn't die of tuberculosis and he wouldn't lose her. But how much of that was just the memories of him as a human versus the vampire? And, And I don't think like what Spike felt 
for Drew was really... No, what Spike felt for Drew was really love. I mean, look at Spike when Drew left him. The blubbering, crying mess that comes to Sunnydale in Lover's Walk. He was devastated Drew left him. Hmm. He really loved her. And it, I don't think it's just memories. I don't think the memories of a person looks that way because Angel killed his like eight-year-old sister. So I think if it was just a memory, like, yes, Angel would have killed his parents. Angelus would have killed his parents. Apparently, Angelus's father was a piece of work. But I believe if it was just memory and if the demon inside of you had any clear memory, I think like the eight year old sister would have been spared. Not like taken with them, but like left where a neighbor could find her. Yeah. But he killed his like eight year old sister who, after hearing he was dead, thought he was an angel come back to her. Hmm. So, no, I don't think it's just memories. I think. Some vampires are capable of love. Darla, I do think, loved Angel. Mm -hmm. The master clearly loved Darla. She was his favorite. She was his favorite child. So I don't know if it's something to the order of Aurelius's bloodline because all these vampires come from that bloodline and they seem to be different than other vampires we see. So maybe it has to do with the demon essence that went in that line. But I mean, we also meet Dracula later down the road who is just doing his Dracula thing and is pretty chill for a vampire. And if you assume that Dracula is the Dracula of the tales, but he loved Mina and he, I mean, he loved, he loved her in the fact that she was his wife reincarnated, but he, He loved her. Hmm. He loved the memory of his wife. So I don't, I do think a vampire can love. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I'll accept that. Yeah. Buffy continues to insult Darla, calling her old and just shut up, Buffy. Leave my sunshine be. While Darla tells Buffy she made Angel that once they shared everything, she tells him how she offered him a chance to come home to rule with her in the master's court. But no, he's throwing everything away because he fell in love with the Slayer, someone who hates their kind, his kind. He's sick. He'll always be sick and he'll always have the memory of watching her die. Buffy goes for her crossbow, which Darla admits is scary. Only she has two handguns. So, you know, scarier. (laughs) I love that Darla was just like, gonna bring some guns. No hand-to-hand combat for me. That's how the others died. Exactly. Also, this totally means that later, Warren is just copying Darla. So, way to be unoriginal, dude. The script notes that the guns Darla is using are Smith & Wesson 35 revolvers. Whether that is actually the guns in the scene, I do not know. I am not a gun expert, but... According to the script, those are supposedly the ones she is using. Hmm. Darla begins firing, which can be heard outside. As Buffy takes cover, Giles, Willow, and Xander make their way inside. When it's decided a distraction is needed to help Buffy get a better position, Willow yells out that it was Darla who attacked her mom, causing Darla to fire a few rounds in their direction before returning her attention to Buffy. And there's this great move where Buffy pushes the pull table Darla is standing on. And even though Darla falls back, she keeps shooting as the table slides across the floor and Buffy dies behind the bakery counter and Giles has like sabotaged all the lights so they're like strobing and just that whole sequence is so cool. (laughs) It was a very great scene. It was so good. Darla keeps shooting unaware that Angel is sneaking up behind her. That is until the sharpened wood plunges into her heart. She falls to the ground and bursts into dust within Angel. Rude! Rude! Rude, rude, rude! I hate that they got rid of Darla so early. Yes. Like, I know she comes back on Angel, but she could have been a ton of fun. Also, apparently Darla fired, like, 40 rounds during this fight, (laughs) and the gun she was using would no way have held 20 rounds each. Look, she has a mystical, magical vampire gun, all right? Okay. 
The fight over, Angel begins to walk away, not saying a word to Buffy or anyone. She watches him go, tears pulling in her eyes. And she's not the only one upset. The master is furious and smashing things. Darla was his favorite for 400 years. The annoying one tells us Darla was weak and just, I cannot wait for Spike to come along and rid us of this, of this child. But until then, the master laments that it was Angel who robbed him of his favorite child. Angel, who was supposed to sit at his right hand. The annoying one tells him it's fine. He'll bring him the slayer. And when his time comes, they'll kill them all. Dun, dun, dun. Another deleted scene would have gone here between this and the next uh, scene that would have shown Buffy and Joyce back home. Joyce recuperating and Buffy being a good daughter and waiting on her hand and foot, telling her mother that she loves her and that she is sorry for all she puts her through. And we're back at the bronze. It's the post-fumigation party. Different from the pre-fumigation party in that the cockroaches are much hardier. But Ew. No thanks. Ew. Willow asks if Buffy's heard from Angel and she says no. But it's weird because she definitely still feels like he's watching her. Which is maybe because he's watching her. As Willow points to where he's standing across the room. As she goes over to see him, Xander turns around and says he doesn't have to watch because he's not threatened. Mm-hmm. Sure, Xander. Angel tells Buffy he wanted to make sure she was okay and that this can never be anything. Of course not because she's a fucking child. Well, yeah. She knows. He says he has to walk away. And again, she knows. But like in the bedroom, neither walks away and instead they kiss. With way less disastrous results. For a moment, we flash back to Xander and Willow as he's asking what's happening. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing is good as long as there's no kissing. Oh, Xander. (laughs) Buffy and Angel pull away and it's clear they both know this should be a goodbye kiss. It should have just been a goodbye. It should have. It was supposed to be a goodbye kiss. It was not a goodbye kiss, though. It's not. They're they're going to keep doing this dance. (sighs) She asks if he's okay, and he says he is. It's just painful. With a nod and a see you around, Buffy slowly begins walking away, Angel watching her. As the episode ends, we pan down to his chest in the burn mark left by Buffy's cross. A mark that we will never see again, despite having evidence that vampires scar permanently. Look, they didn't have the budget. We went over this. We talked about this already. Well, they should have gone to Westboro and asked Billy and Stu for some pocket change to keep the scar prosthetic. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Okay, so that is Angel. Do you have any final thoughts, feelings, reasons Buffy and Angel should not date each other? <sighs> I just so many layers of approval that that had to go through and no one at any point in time piped up to say hey maybe we shouldn't have the 200 something year old vampire who was 26 when he died date the fucking 15 to 16 year old it's inappropriate i'm gonna guess in season one they hadn't nailed down exactly how old angel was still too old oh yeah definitely still too old but i i'm gonna guess they were very vague on how old angel was in season one when talking about stuff. I try not to give Stephanie Meyer too many points, but wasn't Edward at least only like 18 when he died? Well, yeah, because they can all pass as high school students. So like... So they, they were all at the oldest 20, but I think they were all between 16 and 19 when they died. Still creepy, but less so. <laughs> yes. 
five prefer the other one that's okay that's just about it for this week thank you all for listening and make sure you join us next time when we take on season one episode eight i robot you jane until then check out our various social media channels all of which will be listed in the show notes and if you like the show and want to let us know it you can subscribe rate and review or write to us directly at the watchers diaries at gmail.com bye bye